start actually with a video. My man Matt is going to play for us. Yeah, the video. And this is just kind of just a thing I found on conflict on YouTube because I love YouTube. What are you doing? Drying my hands? Those are the decorative towels. You can't use them. Why? Because they're decorative. Then why are they out? Because they're decorative. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Me and Maria that is disgusting. That Can you please go do it in the bathroom? Why? I don't want to miss the dessert round. No, you do this all the time, and I'm constantly finding pe- I don't know where that went. We've How had wonderful life is. Now, now you're in my world. My no, world. No, it's it my is, world. No, it is the world. Close all the way. Close all the way. Close all the way. Isn't that nice? Don't give him that. His stomach can't handle it. He'll get sick. Oh, he's a cat. He's fine. Told you. Shut up. Did you take a lactate? No. I'll be fine. <laughs> Told ya. Shut up. You know where I saw this earlier? The bathtub. Oh, yeah. I needed to scrub it. Yeah, but I just found it in the sink. I needed to do dishes after. What? It touched soap. If it touched soap, that means it's clean. You can't just make up your own rules to suit you as we play the game. Well, stop taking the fun out of it then. I'm not taking the fun out of it. What takes the fun out of it is when you cheat. What's up? What's up? You left the toilet seat up. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just put it down. Don't pull my underwear. Stop pulling my underwear. Ah! Girl, wake it up! We're not made of money, you know. And the funny thing of like, why? Sides are money. Remember the time you threw up? The funny thing about this video is my wife and I have had, oh, we don't have a cat, we would never have cats. Cats are evil. If you disagree with me, we can debate after. But anyway, my wife and I have had almost every single one of these arguments, from the towels to uh, closing things. I love leaving drawers open because it just what? saves me the three seconds Stop from smacking your gum, Waldo. Yeah, it's real funny. It's gonna be funny when I find you and I murder you. Get it together, man. Okay, all right, so. Uh, from closing drawers, and the thing with drama is, is a lot of times it starts with something really silly. And when, when you get through the drama, you get through the conflict, you look back, and you don't even remember, like, what even started it. You think, like, the Hatfield McCoys started over, like, a pig, but over the years, it built and built and built and built and built, right? And it, it blew into something way bigger. I was, uh, as I was reading this, like, uh, reading through and, and finding illustrations, I came across this story of these two farmers and they shared a property line they were cow farmers and uh, the one guy's cows kept getting in the other guy's field and the other guy's cows kept getting into the other guy's field and they were getting like mixed up and having to do all this stuff so the one guy approaches the other farmer and he says hey let's build a fence let's build a fence we can split the cost that'll benefit both of us this is a great idea the other farmer says well if you want a fence so bad why don't you build it so the other guy did, he built a fence, but when he built the fence, he built it five feet on his side of the property line. And the other farmer said, hey, hey, what happened? I saw the survey stakes. I knew where the property line was. Why'd you build it five feet further? I was like, well, this is my fence. And if any of your cows come into my property, I'm gonna shoot them. So the other guy built a fence on his property line to keep his cows from out. And it seems really silly but that's what happens with silly conflicts. One guy builds a fence, doesn't like it, then the other guy builds a fence. And before you know it, you're completely separate from the people that Mackie said, and the Bible commands us to, to love and to hold dear, and to love as Christ loved us. So conflict can be really silly. Now don't get me wrong, there's drama, and sometimes that drama, unfortunately, is a necessary thing that we've gotta get in the middle of. But that's not exactly like what we're talking about, and this will apply to that stuff, but we need to, to really take a look at ourselves. And it kind of makes me laugh that when two people who love Christ and know the commandment is love 
thy neighbor as thyself, if you're completely committed to Christ, how there can be sinful drama. It should be impossible. Uh, years ago, um, gosh, I don't know, I was, I think I was 23. We've been married a couple years. Uh, I was a small group leader at our church, and some of my guys got an apartment. And I sat them down, and I was like, hey, I've been in an apartment situation. These are the things we went over dishes and chores and expectations for rent and everything. And one of the things we talked about was that if you're going to be late with your rent, for whatever reason, you need to let your roommates know so that way they can plan and you guys don't like, get bad credit and all that stuff. And it, it, stuff happens. We understand that. Well, this, this guy, he was young, just out of high school. He, uh, he was late on his rent, didn't tell anyone. Late on his rent, didn't tell anyone. They came to me, well, what do we do with this? I was like, well, tell him if he's late again and he doesn't pay that you're going to kick him out until he can pay. I go, that's, that's tough love, but I believe that this is the, the best thing they could have done because he was just being irresponsible with his money. What happened? He ends up getting kicked out, but didn't tell his dad. Didn't tell his dad, was living out of his truck. And the way they found out is that the guy's mom was a bank teller and um, someone went through the drive-thru and said, hey, how's that having, having this guy back at the house? And they didn't know. So they find out and the dad, uh, I, I don't know where he was at, but got really mad at me like I made his son homeless. And he calls me. And he's screaming at me because I gave the advice to kick him out. And I'm like, hey, hey, slow down here. Let's talk about this. And I'm trying to be calm. And I said, maybe we should get together and talk about it. And he said, well, if we get together, it ain't going to be with words, like threatening to fight me. I was like, hey, man, like, hey, I think you need to slow down. I think you need to go maybe seek some advice from someone that, that's outside the situation and calm down and we can get together and talk. Well, that never happened. So like, I felt pretty good about where I was at during that drama and that conflict. But where I was wrong was we didn't talk for six months. I was mad that he had gotten to that point and I didn't deal with it on my end. So a fence went up on my side and a fence went up on his side and it wasn't until a sermon that Robert did months later that we both were like, convicted and were basically like 20 minutes after the ser service dialing each other's phone numbers, trying to call each other to, to reconcile. And that drama, I mean, looking back was silly. It was a really good thing for a son. Looking back, we've talked about it since then. But drama happens. And we need to know how to prevent and get to that point where we're throwing fences up. Because that's not biblical. That's not what God commands of us. And we need to obey God's commands in full. And the sad thing right now is, 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 as we grow up, I just don't think that we're fully equipped to deal with that drama. So that's why this lesson is on the docket. And there's really no way to escape it because we're all human. Has anyone here ever just had a weak moment? That's not to excuse any of the drama, right? Because it doesn't excuse it. We're called to, to obey Christ, but we all have weak moments, even in our strongest. And sometimes when we feel like we're in our strongest is actually when we're in our weakest. And we're born into it, right? Like it's a, what, is, what does this sound like, right? Feed me, change me, hold me, burp me, right? That was me last week when I was sick. Um, Maria helped me out. She was, she was a saint. But really, that's, that's a baby, right? From the moment we are born, it's about self. Feed me, change me, shelter me, keep me warm, right? Lay me down for a nap. And as we get older, it doesn't go away. Because we're still human, right? And we're ingrained with this selfishness to think about ourselves and to take care of ourselves, right? So from friends, family, brothers and sisters in Christ, coworkers, your marriage, your marriage, if you're not married, your marriage will test you more than any other relationship in your life because it's the person you're closest to, it's the person you see the most, and it is going to test you. It's going to test your, your selflessness versus your selfishness It'll test every part of you. And then you have kids, and your kids are going to test you. Mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. Right? Always about the, oh, man, I can't believe Maria like, talked me into another one, but here we are. We're, we're doing it again. Um, <laughs> but when we look at drama, it really is a symptom of a much deeper issue. Right? The drama is the outward. It's the symptoms. It's what's going on, right? But the inward battle is what we're going to be talking about today. Does anyone, uh, does anyone go Black Friday shopping? Like a few? Has anyone ever like seen the stories or the things like that, the craziness? 
I don't go Black Friday shopping because um, I'm like a, the Incredible Hulk. I get rage issues. And so I don't go because like, I just take myself out of the situation and just stay away from it. The second someone like, tried to take something from my cart or bumped into me with air, jockeying for position, it could be over for me. So I don't do that. But when you look at that, there's just like this hateness, hateness, the hate and the meanness brewing, right? From the get-go at those events. It's all about me, that selfishness. I gotta get my stuff. I gotta get stuff for my family. Let's get the best deal. I've heard my sister, when she was alive, she would, she would say she would turn around to get something and she would turn around and there were people like taking stuff out of her cart and putting it in theirs. And she, she, <laughs> she don't play around. Um, <laughs> Well, she was alive to tell this story, but anyway, there's, but there's an inner selfishness. And so what we're going to be talking, we're going to be talking about James 4 today, but before we get to James 4, I want to kind of like rewind a little bit in James and just give you a few examples of, of why I feel like James ends up where he is in James 4, 1 through 10. So James 2, right? He talks about a mirror and looking into God's word as a mirror. And when you think about drama and you think about sin and selfishness, when you look into God's mirror, is that what you see? Do you see self, selfishness? Do you see thinking of self? Do you think drama? Do you think hate? Do you think it's possible to look into and to see that when you're looking into God's word? Because if you're looking into God's word, you see the exact opposite of that. And so he's warning these people, right? Be slow to become angry. He's warning these people. He sees this stuff coming. He sees what's going on within this, within this group of people, right? And then right after that, faith without deeds, Right? And Mackie did such, such a great job about talking about if you have faith, your works and how you live and what you do in your life are going to reflect God's word. And he challenged my faith. And I hope he challenged your guys' faith. That when you pick what God wants in spite of how you feel, that's true faith. All right? And we go on, James 3, taming of the tongue. It's really hard to have an argument without words, right? And that drama. And he's warning us about the taming of the tongue. And this is, guys, this is like, I am so sharp in cutting with my words. You've been around me just even a little bit. I get stressed. I get focused. Sometimes I'm looking over here and I have the task that needs to be done here. And I forget about the heart of the people around me. And I can be really sharp in cutting with my words. This is something that I have to talk about and think about and pray about and read about all the time. And right after that, he talks about fresh water and salt water. How can they coexist? And when you think about fresh water, right? You got a whole thing. How much salt water does it take to contaminate fresh water? Not a whole lot, right? Just a little bit. If, if you were to have all your drinks here and I went out and got like a dropper, right, and of the Gulf water and put it in your drink, you're not going to drink that. It's going to be terrible, right? And so he leads in and he's in James 4. And that's where he gets. So we're going to go. James 4, 1 through 10, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about that. So what causes fights? The Greek word for that is poemos. It refers to actual armed conflict. So it carries this violent image. Right? And then it says, what causes fights and quarrels? Mache is the Greek word. It is used in other literature only for battles without material weapons, so it refers to angry disputes. So we've got armed conflicts and angry disputes. Right off the get-go in James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, from your desires that battle within you. We've all got desires, right? Wants, things that we see, uh, a preferred outcome of an event, our desires, right? Um, who here, uh, any White Castle fans in the house? Just a few. Who here doesn't know what White Castle is? Couple? Okay, so White Castle, these little, they're like little square burgers, and they call them belly bombers. And if you know, like, if you could just picture it doesn't do good things to your inside. I love White Castle, but just because I desire it doesn't mean that after midnight, it's a good thing, right? You're either, if, if, eating those after midnight are only reserved for pregnant cravings and like gremlins, right? And that's what you turn into if you, if you eat White Castle after midnight. Our desires don't always mean that they're good and godly. Our desires aren't always right. And we live in a society where if, you, if it feels good, you should do it. If it feels right, that's right. You take the moral compass of the Bible and the Holy Spirit and God's word and it goes out the window and it becomes all about self. If it feels good, do it. 
your desires are right because they're your, they're your desires. I was born this way, right? The Bible says so much against that. And actually, we could do like a whole conference just on that, right? So you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. More violence. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. More violence. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Self. Right? Not thinking about God. Not thinking about the kingdom. Not thinking about the person that you're maybe about to quarrel with. Thinking about self. You ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means anonymity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell on us? Jealousy. Now, you may read that and you're like, oh, jealousy is a bad thing. Why is God being jealous? Isn't jealousy a sin? Who longed to be here this weekend? Like when you looked at the calendar and you saw it on the thing, you longed to be here. I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. I had people, Brendan and Paige, they paid like three months ago. And it was like before any of my members and all that stuff, and they were, they were excited to be here. That was awesome. And in hearing the people and seeing the stories and seeing the Snapchats and the Facebook posts, I know some Tulsa people were like, can't wait to leave for Florida. 24 hours is going to be there. We long to be there. And that's the longing, the jealousy that God has there. He longs for us to be in relationship, for his spirit to dwell inside of us. So when drama comes, when conflict comes, we can handle that in the way that he desires, in the way that's going to build up the kingdom, is going to build up the other person, and ultimately it'll help build you up to become more like Christ, because that is the end goal of all of this, becoming more like Christ. But he gives us grace. That's why the scripture said, God opposes the proud, but shows uh, favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double you double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So James basically starts off by asking, why do you do the things you do? Why do you do this stuff? What's your driving force? What's your motivation? He wants them to internalize this question, because he had just walked through kind of how to deal with this, and he says, why do you do this stuff? I don't know how many times my campus, I look at them and be like, why, do you, why, why did you do that? Like, what was, your, what was going through your head? What was going through your heart? Where, where, where did you, how did you get right here? And that's what he wants us to ask ourselves. He wants us to analyze where the things come from. And then he says, what controls your behavior? What gets, uh, what gets you through? What's your default response? Is it the Word of God? Or is it your emotions? Is it your past experience? So-and-so did this to me in the past, so they're going to do it to me again. Right? What's your default? What is it? And like David said last night, and like Jesus said in the Bible, nobody can serve two masters. You're going to make a choice, plain and simple. If you leave this conference, you leave this room, you leave church on Sunday, you leave your cross chat, you leave your Bible study, you leave whatever it is, and you're faced with the opportunity to say yes to Jesus or say no to him. If you walk out that door without saying yes, it's a no. I thought he said that beautifully last night. And James is compelling us to look inward rather than outward. The outward is a sign of something that's going on in the inside. You see, we can blame circumstance. We can blame the other person. We can make excuses. But really, this is an internal thing. Because no matter what goes on on the outside, the inside determines our response on how we are and, and are we going to respond to the Spirit. So in Galatians 5:17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict, conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So this is a war between two fundamental lifestyles, one of the flesh and one of the spirit. The flesh is self-indulging and sinful. The spirit is self-sacrificing and loving. Again, notice throughout James the, the, the violent language, fight, quarrel, battle, kill, covet. The King James Version says lust and war. All language of violence, and that's what drama is. And sometimes we can write off conflict, right? Oh, it just happens from time to time. It's just a thing. NBD, no big deal, right? It happens. Here we are. But James wants us to make this clear. 
We are not to take conflict lightly. When you kill, you injure others because of your desire to indulge in yourself. You destroy that relationship. The basic cause comes from your desire within. And we're going to go through a couple other Greek words because I like sounding really smart because I'm not. And so, uh, hedonon, which is from the hedonist, your sole desire is to satisfy yourself. You live by your pleasures. You're driven by your passions. The hedonist will say, I want my environment to be that I want it to be. I want my ideas to be acknowledged by all. That's one thing that's really hard for me is I just want... If I throw an idea out there, let's acknowledge it. Let's at least say that it's in the room. I, I struggle with that one, okay? Um, I want it my way. A hedonist is really a slave to his own desires, and his master is the devil. All right. So the short version. You pursuing or lusting after the desires of your heart. Um, are you pursuing the, or lusting after the desires of your heart or pursuing desiring God? It's an either or. So what I want to do now is I want to talk about the consequences of the selfish mindset. The first is conflict with people. What causes quarrels and fights? Those are multiple. Those are plural for a reason. Because if it happened once, it's going to happen again. You can usually tell someone who's marked by drama in their life because it's with everybody. Right? And then that does drives where they're at. In James 3, he, he marks how we should live, right? Pure, peace-loving. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, and peacemakers. If you're living like this, can you really have conflict with others? So you have conflict with others, you can have conflict with yourself and internal frustration. Do you ever notice that people that have drama in their life typically are tired people? It's exhausting having drama all the time with the people around you, with yourself. Um, and then finally, you have conflict with God. Over and over again, the Bible, his relationship with God, uh, compares it to a marriage. So, honey, uh, will you go to Clint? Clint has a bag for you. She, Maria has no idea what's happening right now. I just told her to be ready and to play along. All right? Hey, do you have the second? The video doesn't need to go up, but I need the sound. And I'll tell you when to do that, okay? She's got a note with, with some instructions on it. Hey, no, you need to go towards, kind of towards the back a little bit. Over by Chris is good. Okay, she has no idea. So she's going to read the note. She's got some instructions, and we are about to relive one of the best days of our life. I love you, honey. Okay, so open, open it up, read it. I got, no, no, don't, don't read it out loud. It's just for you. Sweet little love note. Okay. This is my lovely, we've been married 11 years. She's tried to murder me once. I deserved it. Okay, so you have two things there, baby. And I'll tell Reggie when to cue up this music. I had to put it in a couple bags so you wouldn't see it. Okay, I put that on. Okay. And then grab, grab the other thing. Okay, or Reggie, you can play it, okay? Please rise. Please rise. All right, baby. She's so beautiful. Oh, I thought to, man. Come on. Come on. Your stairs over. You can come I'll help you right here. Okay, this is my, this is my honey. I think I was on this side, and you were on that side. Okay, all right. Okay, but you can have a seat. The dad gives the bride away, right? Beautiful. Look at her. Isn't she beautiful? Okay. All right. So I'm going to do like kind of this guy and that guy. All right. So dearly beloved, we are gathered here. She was made for you and you were made for her. Oh, you guys can come up if you want. You can be like best man and maid of honor. Come on up. You stand by mommy. You're maid of honor. And you stand right here. You got to be quiet. Hey, and just remember this, you've got to be still. Okay, all right, so dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for the holy matrimony, and then you get to the vows. All right, and so Maria, Maria's going to read her vows to me, okay? And I got these here for you. <laughs> I'm reading all this. Yeah, read all of it. Today, surrounded by people who love us, I choose UTC to be my partner. I am proud to be your wife and to, and to join my life with yours. I vow to support you, push you, 
inspire you and above all love you for better or worse in sickness and health for richer or poorer and I promise to be faithful to you and only you as long as we both shall live that's beautiful okay all right so now it's my turn all right yours were yours were really good like the real deal okay today surrounded by people who love us I choose you Maria to be my partner I am proud to be your husband and enjoy my life with yours. I vow, to, I vow to support you, but only when it's easy. Push your buttons to the point of sin, inspire you, and above all, love you. For better or best, in sickness, and as, but as long as it doesn't get too bad. For richer, that's it. And I promise <laughs> to pretty much <laughs> be faithful to you, pretty much be faithful to you, as long as we both shall live. Just pretty much. Okay, so he gets to the thing. All right, do you have rings? And we do the rings. And based on those vows, are you saying I do? Based on the vows, I'm going to pretty much be faithful to you. Like most of the time, is that what you're going to do? Are we going to like do the kiss thing? Heck no. Why not, baby? Don't touch me. What? I'm going to pretty much be faithful like most of the time. Isn't that good? No. No one wants that. And when you get sick, as long as it doesn't get too. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. But as long as it doesn't get too bad, right, I can take care of you. But if it, like, stinks and there's, like, diarrhea, I'm, gonna, I'm out on that. And we, we got to have money. If we don't, we're done, right? Is all this good? Does this sound good? Where's the money? <laughs> That's not important. We're, no, we're in ministry. Okay. Hey, which, any girls here, would anyone have said yes to that? Nope, not even one? What about you, Audrey? When you get married, do you want a guy who's just pretty much just going to be faithful to you? Or do you want a guy who's going to love you and only you? <laughs> All right, you guys can have a seat. All right. All right, you guys can go, and, and I'm going to explain why I did this. You may, kiss, you may kiss the husband. Okay, love you. Ow, okay. All right, so over and over again in the Bible, our relationship with God is compared to a marriage, right? And we would never say this to God. I'm going to be with you for better or best. I'm going to be with you only when it's the rich times. I'm going to be pretty much faithful to you. Would anyone like say that to God? Like, hey, God, we're face to face. Anyone going to say that to God? If, you're, if that's where your heart is, you're probably going to like just kind of ignore God, right? You're not going to like go. You're not going to go to church. You're not going to do the stuff. You're not going to commit. We may not say that, be willing to say that to God. But how many of us act like that towards God? All the time, right? When the tough times come, when it's the poorer times, we run. We don't hold to our vow to, to obey his word, to obey his commandments. And when that girl or guy comes into our life that we know is bad for us spiritually, we're pretty much faithful. We might still go to church. We're pretty much faithful to God, but we're not really faithful to God. When it comes down to drinking alcohol, doing drugs, or just even just every once in a while, or cussing, right, with our language. Or what about drama? When it comes to loving our brothers and sisters, what about drama? You know, I, I recently, um, I'll get to that in a minute. That would make us an adulterer, right? And that's what he calls us in, in James. That's what he calls the people. That's what he calls us in life. That's what James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls us when we're pretty much faithful all the time, when we hold to those vows to die to ourselves, to carry our cross daily. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And when you kind of read that part, it almost seems like, whoa, well, where, where did this come from? Why are you changing subjects, James? We're, we're dealing with fights and quarrels, and now you're calling me an adulterer. And being unfaithful, where did this come from? James is speaking to a bunch of Jewish people. And they knew the context of what an adulterer meant. Because it is very ingrained within their, their theology, the way that they're brought up, their teachings, right? And if you go back to the Old Testament, Hosea and Gomer, adulterer, right? Israel chasing after the other God, adulterers. They knew what he was saying. So the core concept of what we're talking about today is rooted in spiritual adultery. We are not faithful to God. We're trying to be faithful to ourselves. And in doing that, we're faithful to the devil. 
And our problem is that we've given the love and devotion that we should be giving towards God to something else. Um, so recently I talked with someone, and I, I had this conversation a lot whenever drama comes up. I start talking to them, and, and they'll say, but you don't understand what this person did to me. Right? And we sit there and we try to justify, and we try to excuse what's going on. You don't, you don't, you don't understand. This person called me this, this, and this, or this happened. And I'm like, hey, what happened to you was terrible. I don't agree with it at all. But we're not talking about them. Right now, I'm talking to you. And I'm trying to hold up God's mirror to your face and show you how you're acting right now isn't good, isn't godly. And it took a long, because the person was so emotional, he got on a Snapchat and went on this like, long like, tirade. Like, it, was, it was crazy. All right? And it was, took a long time to bring that person back to like, this is how God wants you to respond. Because if you really belong to him in the face of circumstance, in the face of people, in the face of whatever it was, if you really belong to him, you would choose to respond in a way that gave him honor and gave him glory. And so today's lesson is about what to do up until that point where things blow up. Remember, Carrie's lesson, kind of the second half of this part, is what to do once the drama starts. You're in the middle of it and you don't know where to go. Because we end up there whether we like it or not sometimes. Whether we're doing the exact right thing or not. So whatever's ruling your heart on a horizontal level will affect and relate to God on a vertical level. So you remember I talked about Hosea and Gomer. Even Rahab was, was a prostitute, so in a lot of ways an adulterer. The woman at the well, right, had five husbands. Right? The cool thing about those stories is they're all stories of redemption. And they're all stories of coming out on the other side and living a godly life. And so whether you've been that adulterer in your life where you've been a friend with the world and an enemy of God and you've, you've agreed and you've surrendered that or you're in that spot where I, I've never, never even given God the chance or I don't know where to go, there's a story of redemption in here. And that's getting rid of yourself. So if I'm going to avoid the drama, there's four things that we're going to go over. First, I must choose my ruler. I must choose my ruler. Who rules my life? And David, did, again, did a great job of that. James 4, uh, the first part of verse 7, submit yourselves unto God. You've got a choice here. Right? You must choose God as your ruler. And you've got to do that completely. In MMA, there's no partial tap-outs. Right? Hold on. I just want to get out of this situation. We can go back up on our feet and we can fight it out a little bit more. There's no partial tap-outs in MMA. There's no partial submissions. In the same way with God, I don't want you to partially tap out and give, give 80%, 90, even 99%. I want 100% of you, your heart, your life, your decisions, everything that you do, I want 100% of that. You've got to fully submit yourself to me. In college, you're not going to turn in 90% of a paper and expect a good grade when you submit it. 100%. You've got to give it all. But then you also got to submit continually. Because although I, I submitted this morning when I woke up and I read and I prayed and all this stuff, I submitted this morning, right, at lunch, we're going to get busy, and I'm going to lose my focus, and there's going to be someone doing something over here, and, and the, the temptation for me to be rude or whatever, I'm going to have to do it in the middle of the day, and I'm going to have to do it at the end of the day. I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow when I wake up. I've got to fully and completely submit every day, continually, and every decision I make, does this honor God? Does it make me more at Christ? Does this build others up? Does it build up the kingdom? I gotta fully submit that and surrender my life. And when you do that, you build the kingdom and you build the one family. It's so hard. If you had come into your first cross at first church meeting and, and you had just seen people fighting and bickering all the time, would you have come back? Not a chance. You know, there's guys in my menu. Is Nathan in here? You know Nathan Taylor. Nathan, Nathan's the guy that he's like the feelings guy. Right? He is just in touch with his inner feelings. He sends me songs all the time. I don't, music does not hit my soul with, with the exception of a few songs. He is like, you got to listen to the song. God spoke to me through the song and it was a wonderful thing. And I read the song or listen to the song. It's always a YouTube clip. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? And outside of a relationship with God, Nathan and I would never be friends. Ever. All right? But. When God says in Acts 2 that they had everything in common, that we have Jesus Christ in common, right? 
And that is more than enough. And Nathan and I are really good friends. And that's awesome. So in Joshua 24, one of my favorite Old Testament books, Joshua 24, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness, put away the gods. Right? He's telling you to choose right here. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Again, make a decision. Are you choosing God? Or are you choosing Satan and yourself? Choose this day whom you serve, whether it's the God of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites and the land whom you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So first I got to choose a ruler. What's going on? We have a choice and there's no in between. It's no, e it's no either or. You got to pick, or it is either or. You got to pick. So first, I must choose my ruler. Second, I must resist the devil. And you may be thinking when you see that, right, because it says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You may think, well, I'm, no, I'm picking masters here. I'm picking God. I'm, does that mean that the devil goes away? Oh, oh he picked God. I'm going to go to the next person. I'm going to go over here, and it's all going to be good. I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to leave her alone. We're all good. Is that how it goes? Has anyone ever experienced that? Just, you choose God, and it's just easy? All right, good. No hands went up. Because we were going to have to have a talk afterwards, and I was going to have to sit down and show you more scripture. But that's just not how it works. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because when you make the decision to live for God, he's right there with you. He wants you back. He wants you to serve him. And that's why I say continually surrender to God and submit to God, because the devil's going to be right there with you. In Hebrews 12:4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Has anyone ever done that? Resisted sin to the point where they shed blood? Again, no hands went up. Okay. Does this sound familiar? Shedding blood? This is Jesus in the garden. Right? When he's, when he's resisting, he doesn't say it's stress. He was resisting the temptation to bail on God's plan and their plan to the point where he was sweating blood. But what did he do anyway? He went ahead and he fulfilled God's plan regardless of how he felt regardless of what was coming, regardless of the pain he was going to face. He did that. Have you ever resisted that? It's like, I feel like sometimes it's like the devil's like, hey, hey, you should do this. And you're like, no. And he's like, come on, it'll be really fun. No, no, I'm good. Come on, man. You've done this before. And you're just like, okay. And you just go with it. That's about the point when I talk to some college students from my ministry, from other ministries, that's about the point that we resist nowadays. Oh, it'll be really fun. You know, everyone else is doing it. Right? You deserve to have a good time. You had a great semester. You, you got straight A's. You deserve to go out and, and cut loose a little bit. Right? We resisted temptation to the point of sweating blood. You know, I think of, and this is like the much less godly version of Jesus in the garden. You ever seen like kids trying to eat vegetables and they don't want to do it? That's resisting. Right? My sister, uh, I remember this time, cooked carrots. She absolutely would not eat cooked carrots, like ever. There was a time, and I hope this doesn't set off the mics because I don't know how any of this stuff works. She was on the ground, and my mom, my mom's crazy, all right? She's certifiable. She was on top of her. My sister was on the ground like this, like that, and she's kicking her. My mom's on top of her with the feet like in her chest, and she is trying to shove a carrot in my sister's mouth. And my sister would be like, all right, I'm going to take them. And so she'd be like this. And she's like, all right, I'll eat it. And she'd throw it across the thing. And my mom would go get it and make her eat the one off. Try to make her eat the one off. The, and she'd be like, oh, like this off. The, get off me. And I'm sitting there like, like kind of egging on both sides because that's just who I am. Like troll, troll from birth, right? And so, so she is like getting on it. And it's like in her adult life, you could not get her. How upset would she get if cooked carrots ended up on her plate? Terrible. That's resisting. That's resisting. Almost to the, she may have shed blood, I don't know. She may have drawn some of my mom's blood. But that's resisting the devil. I mean, with everything we have, we're resisting. But you know what we do? We even, we let the devil in our little circle. We let him close enough to tempt us. Adam and Eve style. Right? Just letting the devil chill with us. Letting him talk little things in our ear. Letting him talk about how how good that might feel or how, that, how, 
how satisfying or how fun it might be, we let them in our circle. If we're letting the devil anywhere even close to us, that's not resisting. That's giving them a, a cooked carrot and telling them, to, come on, be, let's be buddies. We gotta resist to the point where we're so far away from him that he flees, where he knows it's not even worth my time going up to this person. This person is fully and completely God's. He's gonna resist me until he dies or she dies. That's how we have to be. So I must choose my ruler. I must resist the devil. And I must, third, I must regulate my attitude and my emotions. Regulate my attitude and my emotions. Anytime I hear the word regulate, Carrie, what do you think of when you hear regulate? Yeah. Mount up, right? That's old school. Some rap there for you. Um, regulators, right? But now that I'm older, when I think of the word regulate, I think of the thermostat in my house. And I got to regulate the temperature. Because if not, the bills are going to be too high. Do you know who doesn't think about regulating the thermostat? My beautiful seven-year-old daughter. She likes to climb up on the chair. And she likes to set the temperature as high or as low as it'll go. And so the furnace is always on. It gets really hot and it gets really low. But if you're responsible, you're gonna regulate and you're gonna keep that right where it needs to be. And in a relationship with God, we gotta do that with our attitudes. James 4, uh, verse nine, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And that seems really weird, right? Because we think laughter is a good thing, right? right? Why would I wanna change that? To mourning and a joy, yeah. I mean, that's a command. I love joy, peace, peace, right? We want to have joy, and then it says, change it to gloom. What is he saying here? He's saying, I want you to take this seriously. I want you to take everything that I just said seriously. I want you to stop playing around. I want you to stop laughing. I don't want you to take what I'm talking about seriously about pride and about selfishness, about quarrels, about fights, about the violence, about killing, about coveting. Take what I have seriously. But he's also telling us that we have a choice in our emotions, in our mood. And I will say this, I will tell the story to the day that I die. Robert invited me out for coffee. My people have probably heard the song, or the story. If you've been to past conferences, you've probably heard this story. I will tell the story. Robert said, hey, let's go get coffee. And I was a pretty new like, Christian, maybe the disciple, like three years in. And Robert's like, hey, let's go get coffee. And I am like, oh, geez, the big guy. Yeah, let's go get some coffee. Let's get to know each other. That's just a mistake because Robert, his, he's got a superpower. And it is making you feel broken down but hopeful, like the lowest point in your life ever that you felt like here. And then, but being built up and hopeful at the end too. It's a superpower. It's amazing. Carrie's superpower is he can put his hand on your shoulder and say, how you doing? And he can get you to cry. So Robert, Robert is, and so we go, and he is telling me, he said, man, you do some, you're doing some really good things, and it's really cool seeing you grow. And I was like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good about myself here. And he said, but if you don't get a rein on your attitude, you're going to kill every amount of influence that you ever gain, and nobody's going to follow you, nobody's going to be led to Christ, and everything that you do is going to be worthless. And I'm sitting there at the table, and I am like, why did he just do this to me? Like, this is terrible. Why would he do this to me? But I go back to that conversation like all the time. And I just looked at him and said, Robert, man, I just, I get emotional and I can't help it. I just, I just feel like I can't help it. And he looked at me and he quoted this passage from uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So every excuse, everything that you have, throw that out if it goes against God. And he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And he says, doesn't that sound like you have a choice? I said, well, yeah, it's just not that easy. But he's like, but you have a choice. And this is my mood and my attitude. I tell you, it's the biggest struggle that I have in my life, in my ministry, in my family, with my kids, with my friends, with my physical family, spiritual family, is the biggest struggle that I have in my life. Number one thing I can say is you have a choice in your emotions and your mood. Regardless of what is going on, regardless of what's happened in your past, what's happened to you, what you've done to other people, you have a choice in how you respond. And you've got to regulate that. And there's too much hanging in the balance. 
Because our life and our mood and our attitude it has the power of life and it has the power of death. It has the power of, to bring people in closer for them to see humility and selflessness and to see Christ through you, but it also has the power to drive them away and to say, what did Mackie say, biggest criticism of the church? You hypocrite. What's the matter with you? You say you follow God, you say you honor God, but this is how you act, this is your mood. And I tell you, people will have a little bit of grace with you on your attitude, but to a point. And then it just gets old. So I must choose my ruler. I must resist the devil. I must regulate my attitude and emotions. And then lastly, I must respond with grace and humility. I must respond with grace and humility. James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Why does he bring up grace here? He's basically saying, remember where you've been. Act like you've been here before. So many times we get so upset with someone for doing the exact same things that we do to other people. And the exact same things that we've received forgiveness from from Christ through his death. And the same thing we've received forgiveness for from our friends and our family because we do the same things. That's one of the things I talk to, to my guys about. They'll be like, yeah, it's just so hard. Man, this is happening. This is like, you just acted and it's talked about the same thing I talked to someone about six months ago with you. You need to remember where you've been. You need to remember that you've been forgiven, that you've been given so much grace that for you to even get upset with another person is repulsive to God. It's insane how high of a standard we hold other people to and how low of a standard we expect people to hold us to. It is absolutely insane. So James 4.10, he goes on, he says, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We are to rely on God to lift us up, not ourselves and our pride and the things that we can do. We are to rely on God on that. So many times, there's another guy I just talked about. He, we got into this, this thing this week and he just said, I, just was, I was just trying to pull myself out of it. And I said, well, everything you did just was like a shovel and you're digging yourself in deeper and you're relying for yourself to bring yourself up out of this. And I said, if you just would have humbled yourself and confessed your sins to God, confess your sins to other people, this wouldn't have even been a thing. This would have been like, man, you know, we've all been there before. I'm so glad that you confessed and that you prayed about it. Here's scripture moving forward on how you need to act in the future and how you need to act before all this comes out. I would have directed them back to scripture and it wouldn't have even been a thing. But it turned into this big sit-down conversation between me, my wife, and two other people. And it was crazy because he didn't respond with humility and he didn't respond with grace. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety. That sounds like it's like a drama-filled situation, right? Getting stressed out. Just don't worry about all that. I know there's drama. I know you both are human. Cast your anxieties on me. Give it to me. Give this over to me. Because when two people focus their hearts and their lives on God, it's impossible to have drama. I don't know how many times, I've never done like marital counseling, but I've talked with Robert and Carrie enough to know is, is, is when people come into that, in that marriage, it's always the other person's fault. And they've never seen two people get divorced that were completely focused their hearts on God their lives on God and their decisions on God. Because you can't get divorced if that's your focus. And it's the same thing with our brothers and sisters. It's impossible to have drama when we've cast out our anxieties on God. We've given it over to him. We've, we've regulated our emotions. We've, we've submitted to him. We've resisted the devil. It's a, it is impossible. You might have a disagreement. You may never come to a point where you guys agree, but the drama and the conflict will never be there. And when we do that, we build up this house strong and mighty in God's name. And we do amazing things on earth. We go onto our campuses and we, we can reach out effectively. We can show people. The Bible says, know us by our love. Right? Love God, love others, love each other, love other people. Right? And then in, in continuing, verse 8, be alert and sober-minded. Again, that's like regulating your emotions. 
Don't be clouded by your emotions and the things going on and the feelings that you have. Be alert and sober-minded. Be ready to make a godly decision. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. And you think, have you ever seen those videos where the kids fall in at the zoo? Right? And the lion's right there. The tiger's right there. I don't know why people do that. They even just will willingly get in with, like, Siegfried and Roy with the big tigers up on stage. This is dangerous. I don't want anywhere near any of that. You just keep me away. I'm pretty adventurous. There's a lot of stuff that I'm going to do. Being next to a, a wild lion or a tiger is not in there. We can't let the devil be even close enough to, to pounce because that's what he's looking to do. Because so when we look at drama and preventing drama, right, we must choose a ruler, choose God, must resist the devil because he's always going to be there like that prowling lion. I must regulate my attitude and my emotions. You have a choice. I take one thing away from it. You have a choice in how you act. And I must um, respond with grace and humility. This weekend could be a weekend that you look back on and say, you know what, this is the weekend I got drama out of my life. I decided that I was going to build up the family regardless of how I feel, how, how I've been brought up, how I've been treated, how they've been brought up, how they've treated me. I'm going to build up the family, one person at a time, one soul at a time. Your eternity can be changed. The kingdoms can grow, and the eternity of people can change. And we can look back and say, this is the weekend where it all changed for us. Let's pray. Now, Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done in my life, Lord. I want to thank you for the people that you put in my life that are willing to sit down at a, at a coffee shop and tell me the hard things, uh, the challenging things, um, and point me back to Scripture in a way that changed my heart, my life, uh, my family, my ministry, and everything. Lord, I pray that this weekend that there's even just one thing that will sink into the hearts of these, these people that, that they need to choose who their master is, Lord, that they, can, that they have a choice in how they respond. Lord, help us to respond with grace and humility in all things. Lord, I pray for Carrie's class tomorrow that uh, as he talks about dealing with drama uh, in the middle of drama, Lord, that we can respond in a way that ultimately brings honor and glory to you, Lord. I love you. I thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.